Good morning, church. Uh, we're so glad you're here this morning and for those who are watching online. And we just have a few announcements before we get started this morning. Now, on the back of the, the chairs in front of you, you'll see the little QR codes that you can scan. If you haven't done that yet, we'd love for you to do that. So we used to pass out like bulletins that would have all the information about upcoming events and ways you can get connected. But now all of that is online. And so that's the best way for you to connect with us and for us to connect with you is for you to scan that. Um, and so that'll take you to where you can find all the information about what's coming up and help you get plugged into the life of the church and also like put in prayer requests and stuff like that. So we'd love for you to go ahead and scan that today. Uh, also upcoming for our fourth through eighth grade students, we have a couple pool parties this week. So hopefully we'll have some good weather for that. So this Wednesday uh, is the fourth through eighth grade girls party. And that's going to be at the Kaufman household from 7 to 9 p.m. And then on Thursday, we have the boys pool party from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Bucot household, and we'll have pizza for that. Um, and so a couple pool parties this week. And then also for our high school students, we are going to Cedar Point next week. So we're going to leave on Sunday, August 8th, and head up there that evening. And then we're going to spend all day Monday at the park. Um, and so that's just for our high school students. Um, and for more information about that, uh, you can check out on our website um, and sign up for that. We'd love for our high school students to, to come to that. I love Cedar Point. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's what we got coming up in the next couple of weeks. And then uh, also, we've put out the ask uh, last week for more student ministry volunteers. Uh, as we're heading into this uh, school year, we'd love for more high school volunteers and middle school volunteers. Um, and so as we put out the, the ask for that, uh, we actually have... Um, a short little video, um, but if you're interested in you know figuring out what that would look like for you, if you want to volunteer for high school or middle school, um, you can get in touch with me, or uh, we have applications out in the lobby. I'm Tommy. And I'm Eddie. We're the Skit Guys. And we want to talk to you today about signing up to serve in the student ministry. Yeah, you can be a help and make a big difference in a student's life, and it doesn't take that much time. Oh, think about it. What you could do to impact the kingdom and to be a mentor and to create a legacy and to build character into these students' lives, it could be so impactful. And if you're lucky, you'll get to go to a junior high orchestra concert and hear something like this. Mm. Messes with your sinuses, doesn't it? I'm starting to taste blood. Mm. Was that um, was that turkey in the straw? If it was, I think the turkey's dead. So, sign up to help with student ministry today. And we'll throw in a free pair of earplugs. Through the next five weeks, we're going to be examining a number of pertinent topics that deal with how we will handle some of the practical challenges of going forward with our lives after everything we've been through the past 16 months. This week we want to examine the devastation that many feel as a result of what has been lost during the past year and a half. There's been so much loss with the record number of deaths in the United States in 2020. As painful as each of these more than 3 million American deaths are this past year to family and friends who suffered the loss of a loved one. We have to recognize there's even been other losses suffered by so many, whether it be the loss of employment, the loss of income, the loss of a, a marriage or a relationship. 
the loss of a personal dream, or maybe that special trip that you had planned, but then it got canceled because of COVID, or some other special planned moments. I think of, of uh, our high school students that some missed uh, proms, graduations, special kind of those milestone events in their life. But also other planned moments, maybe that you had planned as a family, maybe a special vacation that you had to cancel. There's been a lot of loss. For some, there's been a loss of confidence in leaders or, or just the general trust of others or simply the loss of a normal way of life. And the result of all that loss has been for many a feeling of devastation which is the title of our message today. Our focus today is to address this sense of devastation from a biblical perspective as we tackle the subject of loss, deep personal sadness, grief, and mourning. And yet we have as our goal not simply to drudge up a bunch of bad memories because you can watch the news or or look at your news feed to get that, but instead to to leave all of us and leave you with a hope for a brighter future that's possible through turning to a God that we just sang about, a God that is strong, a God that longs to heal, a God that's described by the psalmist in this way. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I love the Psalms. I read from them every day. Many of the Psalms were written by David, who went on to become king of Israel. He was an individual who was described as a man after God's heart, one who encouraged others to put their hope and trust in God so that they too could experience the hope that that he had experienced, and to be like the person he described in Psalm 1 when he wrote these beautiful words. In Psalm 1, verse 3, they are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. As we think about the graphic and even the set design for this series of messages, the question that I want to begin with today for each and every one of us is which side of the graphic best describes or best illustrates the quality of life that you are currently experiencing? Is it the side on the left that's kind of wilted and dying and decaying, or is it the side on the right that's growing and flourishing and thriving. My hope, my prayer is that this after series, that that we will all have the necessary focus and be reconnected and drawn to a God who wants to bring about this this thriving, this life of, of growth, this life of fruitfulness in our lives so that we can all be like the right side of the graphic. Today's message focuses on loss, sadness, grief, and mourning. 
And this message came at a very appropriate time for me and my life for a number of reasons, but one is that I've officiated three funerals over the past three weeks, two of them in the last three days. So there's a lot on my heart on this subject, and yet I've wrestled with the very best way to to share some of the many lessons that I've learned on the subject of grief, both in my life, but also as I've tried to help others as they struggle with grief in their life. You see, I've learned a lot about grief personally as well, because last year in 2020, I lost three close family members in a period of six months. And just recently, I marked the anniversary of my mom, who passed away in May of 2020, but also my oldest sister who passed away in July of 2020. I just marked that anniversary date just 10 days ago. And although I personally have been reading a lot of material on the subject of grief, I'm not claiming to be an expert on grief, just one who's traveled that road. And although I believe that I have sound counsel from Scripture, I I'm not a licensed counselor or therapist and don't claim to be. Yet as a follower of Jesus who's studied God's Word on this subject, I've looked forward to sharing with you some lessons that I've learned, and specifically some lessons that we can learn from the life of David. When we deal, and as we all have to deal at times, with personal loss and devastation, And yet, the lessons that I hope that we will learn from King David is that even in the midst of that loss, even in the midst of personal sadness and sorrow, that we can continue to live a a fulfilling, happy life with an optimistic outlook for the future. David was a man who walked with God. He wasn't a perfect man. If you read the Bible You can see some of his own failures that are described and written about in Scripture. But he lived an authentic life, celebrating his great victories, victories like defeating the giant Goliath, experiencing numerous healthy, strong relationships with others, and eventually becoming the king of Israel, leading them as a nation into the glory days of that kingdom. Yet he was also open in his writing and in his leadership of some of the painful losses that he had experienced in his life. And yet through it all, he continued to thrive as an individual. He continued to thrive as a leader. And I think there's a lot for us to take to heart about that. In the rest of our time together today, we're going to look at three or four, depending on if we have enough time for the fourth one, lessons from David's losses. So let's begin by looking at David's loss of, a, of the previous generation and a close friend. We read about this loss and all the losses that we're going to be looking at today from this amazing book in the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament section of the Bible, that part of the Bible before Jesus walked on the earth. And it's, it's the book entitled Second Samuel. Now, this book describes not only David's leadership upon eventually 
becoming king of Israel, but also his life challenges and his life losses. In chapter 1 of the book, it just gets started right out of the get-go, we learn that the first king of Israel, a guy named Saul, and his son Jonathan, who happened to be David's best friend, were both killed in battle in war with, between Israel and the Philistines. We pick up the reading in verse 11 of chapter 1, and we read this. David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news, the news that Saul and Jonathan had, had died. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army, the nation of Israel, because they had died by the sword that day. Now, at the first glance, this this biblical description of this intense sorrow and grief might seem a bit odd to our 21st century minds. I mean, it's not typical today that in response to grief or sadness or loss in someone's life that someone will just tear their clothes, okay? But can you imagine the king of Israel standing up in front of his army and just tearing his clothes and ripping them in front of everybody. And by the way, I made sure this wasn't a Cincinnati Reds shirt. They're doing pretty good right now. In fact, I searched through my drawers for a St. Louis Cardinals or Chicago Cubs shirt, but thankfully I never had one of those. So. But that's an old vacation Bible school shirt that I didn't think I was going to wear anymore. But, you know, that's odd for us. We don't see people doing that today. But in biblical times, tearing of clothes was the way that they expressed their deep emotions of sadness and grief. Honestly, this is something that 21st century Americans are not very good at. We tend to stuff our emotions. We think that to visibly express sadness And grief is a sign of weakness, but it's not. This also is a reminder for us to define some terms. Sometimes we get the words grief and mourning confused in our minds. We we can begin to think that they're the same word, but they're not synonyms. In fact, let me do a little bit of defining here to make sure that we're all on the same page. As one writer put it, Grief is what you think and feel inside when someone you love dies. They go on to describe it's the numbness, sadness, anger, regret, all rolled up into one. It's the pain in your gut and a hole in your chest. Mourning, on the other hand, mourning is expressing your grief, letting it out somehow. You see, you mourn when you cry, when you talk about death, when you write about it, or even if you punch something, even if it's not always the best way to do it, but it's just by expressing it some way. Everybody grieves inside when somebody they love dies. In some grief material from the Stephen ministry, and we've talked about Stephen ministry here at Southwest before, but we actually have this, 
series of four little books on grief that we make available to people in the church who've lost a loved one. In fact, if you've recently lost someone and you think that this would be helpful to you, please let us know. We'll, we'll mail them to you. We'll make sure that you get this, these copies. But, but these little booklets I have found to be very helpful, and I've returned to them from time to time again. But in this first book entitled A Time to Grieve, it points out the three ends of grief, noting that grief is normal, it's natural, and it's necessary. The three ends. It's normal, it's natural, and necessary. See, I think that's important to hear when you experience grief because sometimes you think something's going wrong with you. You think that you're the only one that's ever felt this way, but the truth of it is it's normal, it's natural, and it's necessary. But as one writer put it, people who mourn, not just those who experience grief, but those who learn to mourn, those who learn to express their grief and to confront it, move on to live and love fully again, constantly remembering and cherishing the values their loved one has given to them. It's a journey, each one moving at his or her own pace in his or her own way, different from one another. The way I express my grief might be different than the way you express your grief, but yet it's important that we all learn to express it in such a way that we can experience this morning, which is essential for us to move on, to live that life that we really long to live, a life of fulfillment, a life of happiness, a life of joy. Let's see how David expressed his grief. How did he mourn? In 2 Samuel 1, verse 17, after learning of King Saul and Jonathan's death, then David composed a funeral song. He wrote a song for Saul and Jonathan, and he commanded that it be taught to the people of Judah. It is known as the song of the bow, or some would say uh, the lament of the bow or the bow. Your, Your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills, David wrote. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. King Saul represented the previous generation. And David is mourning someone who had been a father figure not only to him, but to all of Israel. When Saul and his son Jonathan die, David writes a funeral song or lament. The interesting thing is that the Bible is full of laments. I don't know if you knew this, but there's a number of psalms that are called, there's 150 psalms in the Bible, but a number of them are called psalms of lament, which means psalms of mourning, psalms of sadness. In fact, there's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations, okay? It's a book of lament. It was written Uh, by Jeremiah as he laments, as he mourns the passing of King Josiah. It's hard to say goodbye, but it's important to mourn. It's hard to say goodbye to a previous generation. When my mom passed away last year, she was the fourth and final parent of my wife and I, my wife Jane and I's four parents. 
We've lost them all. Our experience has been that it's, it's tough to lose a parent. It's tough to lose that first parent. But it's even tougher to lose the second parent. At least that's been our experience. Because when you lose that second parent, it's, it's that generation before you has now gone. For many, like my sister and I now, we are in the process of going through my mom's stuff. We've, we've finished that. We're actually turning it over to an auctioneer this week. How timely is this message for me, huh? And then we're going to sell the house that is the only home I knew growing up, the house my mom lived in for more than 65 years. And we're going to sell that house. There's some emotion in that. But, you know, it's, it's tougher because of that. Because with the first parent, you still have the other parent to give attention to and give care to. But when the second parent dies, as my one cousin told me, we're the next generation up now. You see, David was literally the next generation up. He became king after King Saul. But before he became king, he first allowed himself to mourn. David, David's lament continues a first few verses later with these words in verse 23. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired. In death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Now, somebody, if you, if you don't know the backstory on David and Saul and Jonathan, and you're just reading this lament, you say, might say, well, it, it would be easier for David to lament because, I mean, he's describing this great relationship he had with Saul and Jonathan. But the truth of it is they, they had some trouble in those relationships, I mean, especially between David and Saul. I mean, Saul wanted to kill him at times, okay? I mean, so tried to kill him at times. So, I mean, it wasn't just this easy relationship. And yet still in his passing, there's mourning. And David expresses that grief. But also, he describes the grief that he had for Jonathan, his best friend. You know, I was preparing myself for my mom's passing last year. She was 91 and a half years old. You ever notice how that when kids are little, they count the half birthdays, you know? And then there's a certain age where you start counting half, year, half birthdays again, you know? My mom was 91 and a half, okay? Just for the record, I'm not counting half birthdays yet. In fact, I'm going back to the previous decade, if anybody will believe me, okay? But I was, I was preparing myself. My mom's memory was fading. I was preparing myself for her passing. But what was really has been difficult for me, the more difficult loss from last year, not that I don't miss my mother, I do, but in some ways I had mourned her passing even before she died because her memory had faded to the point that I felt like we already had lost her. But my sister, I wasn't ready for her to go yet. She's a few years older than me. We thought 
We knew she had cancer, but we thought we had more time with her. But then shortly after my mother passed, she took a real bad turn. She had a surgery procedure that went bad. And the next thing I knew, just two months after my mom passed, my sister passed. I just wasn't ready for that. I was counting on more time. It's really tough to say goodbye to a good friend or a sibling. Or some of you have had to say goodbye to spouse. I can't imagine how tough that would be. It is especially difficult when they're younger than you think they should be passing. And that was the case for me with my sister. I just thought we had more time. And as I prepared last month for the anniversary of my sister's passing, and honestly, there were some tough times last month thinking about that, I read quite a bit on grief as I'm trying to really mourn so that I can move forward and live that robust, full life that I know God wants me to live. And, and so because of that, I'm really trying to give myself to that mourning that I need to do. And so as I researched grief and mourning, I came across a poem that talked about lighting a candle for that person that you loved who's passed. And so I decided that's what I'm going to do. So I went out and bought a candle. There it is, sitting next to pictures of my parents on our mantle next to the flag that draped my dad's casket as a World War II veteran that's very meaningful to me. But on the anniversary of my sister's passing, I lit a candle, said some prayers, spent about 45 minutes looking at photos of my sister and happier times, and honestly, cried like a baby at times. But the truth of it was that was healing in my life. It felt like a marker, a milestone for me going forward in my life. You know, that first year of losing a loved one is a tough journey with every birthday, every holiday, even the anniversary of their death. And I want to urge those of you who are going through that to look for creative ways to honor the one that you've lost, as I've tried to do. You know, years ago, Jane and I had not lost either one of our parents yet, and we had a friend in Indiana where we were living at the time who told us that when she lost her mother, that she cried every single day for a year. And honestly, when she said that, I couldn't relate. And in fact, to be quite honest, candid, I thought in the back of my mind, boy, that's kind of that's weak. That was kind of my first impression. I thought, I, I don't think I'll be that weak. But then in 2007, when my dad died of cancer, and he and I were very close, I think for a year I cried almost every day. And for those of you who were part of the church back then, you said, yeah, it felt like that. Every sermon you preached there for a while. And I'm sorry, but I was working through my grief. But the truth of it is, is that that 
as someone shared with me, grief is like waves of an ocean. You know, I'd, I'd be having a good week. I'd be having a good day. And I'd be driving down the road, listening to sports radio like I normally do. I'm not as spiritual as some of you listen to Christian music on the radio, but I was listening to sports radio, and some, some announcer would talk about going to a game with his dad. And I'd just find myself weeping in the car as I'm driving down the road. It would just crash, the grief would just crash into my life like a wave from an ocean and just feel like sometimes it was going to take me down. And yet, remember, grief is normal. It's natural. It's necessary. But it's important that we don't just, just experience grief, but that we also learn to mourn and learn to express it. Talk about deeply loving and deeply hurting. Let's look at a second example of David's loss. We might not get through two of them, okay? Let's see how we're doing. But the second one here is a loss of a young child. Now, this is a tough one. Some of you can relate. You can read about David's experience in 2 Samuel 12 as his young child has a deadly illness. As we pick up the reading in 2 Samuel 12, verse 16, David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason why the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when he tell, we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he's dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was serving and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. Now catch this, verse 23. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Now, I'm sure that David and the child's mother had some more tough days after the passing of this child. In fact, one of the many myths that go along with grief is the myth that losing an infant doesn't hurt because parents didn't have time to get to know the child. That's just not true. It's a myth. Other myths are people with a strong faith don't grieve. Or grief gets easier as you grow older. Or you should be pretty much back to normal after two or three months. None of those have been true in my life. And they weren't true in David's life either. It doesn't appear. Yet we do see from verse 23, he says, can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. You see, David's faith in God and life eternal allowed him to experience hope and peace in the passing of a young child. 
It also served as a tremendous motivation for him to continue to seek God and draw near to God so that he would finish strong in his faith and someday be with the Lord and with his child. My faith in the eternal is the only thing that's helped me through the difficult loss of the Christian loved ones in my life. You see, like David, I'm determined to finish my race I'm determined determined to finish strong in my life and faith because I want to go to them one day. Yet I also have a strong sense of mission in my life and pray that I can help as many others as possible be ready to meet God and to spend eternity with Him. And that's what keeps driving me forward. As we keep reading in 2 Samuel, we see another loss. We'll maybe get to three. In David's life, as he experiences not only a loss of a child, but also an estrangement from another child. You see, sometimes that loss that we're experiencing in our life might not be from death, but it might be from estrangement, from separation, from no longer having that relationship. If you read 2 Samuel, you'll find out that David's family, well, let me just put it bluntly, they were messed up, okay? If you, like me, have experienced dysfunction in your family, then I want to encourage you to read the Bible because the Bible is full of dysfunctional families. And you know what? That gives me hope because God uses people that come from dysfunctional families. Isn't that good news? I'm grateful for that. And God uses us sometimes even in the mess of the dysfunction as it's still going on. You can see that in David's case. And David had some problems. Remember his incident with Bathsheba? I mean, that was, was terrible. And after that infidelity, there was all kinds of problems. As then David tries to lead a blended family. And maybe you don't know this, but one of David's sons, a guy named Amnon, from one of his wife's wives, raped David's daughter from another wife. Now, that's tragic. I mean, I can't imagine the pain that that would have been for David. And then if that were not bad enough, another one of David's sons, a guy named Absalom, kills Amnon. In fact, let's read about that in 2 Samuel 13, verse 32. Because first of all, David receives a report that all of his sons are killed, and he's devastated. But then in verse 32, no, don't believe that all of the king's sons have been killed. It was only Amnon. Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. No, my lord, the king, your sons aren't all dead. It was only Amnon. Amnon. Meanwhile, Absalom escaped. Verse 37, and David mourned many days for his son Amnon. Absalom fled to his grandfather. He stayed in Geshur for three years, and King David now reconciled to Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. Did you catch how long David mourned? It wasn't two or three months. How long was it? Three years. He's, he's mourning the loss of two sons, one who died and one that he's estranged from. But David, it says, has been reconciled in his heart, the passing of one son, and now he desires to be reconciled with his estranged son. But it took time. It took three years in this case. For some, it might take longer. Make sure if you're going through grief 
that you give yourself the time and the grace to grieve and to mourn that which is necessary. And to try to find that true reconciliation, that true peace in your heart, so that you can experience genuine healing over time. In one of my grief counseling books, the author states emphatically, the counselor's task then becomes not to help the bereaved give up their relationship with the deceased, but to help them find an appropriate place for the dead in their emotional lives a place that will enable them to go on living effectively in the world. For some, that could be doing something very constructive to invest your life into, some worthy project, maybe even in the name of the deceased, to honor them, but yet at the same time be of real help to others. There's been a couple of really good examples of that within the life of this church, and I don't have time to point to them now, but some of you know about those individuals who've mourned the loss of a child, and yet they've turned that grief into a positive, constructive thing that they in turn can help others. The final lesson that we don't have time to read is, is the unexpected loss of a rebellious son, Absalom. Finally, Absalom dies as well. In fact, David loses four sons. He knew a little bit about grief. And in fact, in the losing of these sons, if you, in fact, if you keep reading in 2 Samuel 19, Eventually, there's some people that have to come alongside David to help him work through the grief. Can you imagine losing? This is the third of four sons. Can you imagine losing not just one child, but three children? And finally, there's someone that has to come in and speak some truth into David's life to help him work through that grief and to mourn in a healthy way. Now, that dispels a myth that a strong person should be able to deal with grief alone. I'm so grateful for this church family. I'm so grateful for our elders. I'm so grateful for good friends within this church that have come alongside me as I've walked through my journey of grief. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your help. Thank you for your support. I, I'll be the first to admit, I can't do it alone. I need help. In fact, I'm convinced everybody needs help. And in fact, I think to really heal, you need people in your life that you can bounce off what you're feeling, how you're thinking, and how you're working through it. And if you're going through a difficult time with grief, and maybe you've been trying to do it alone, then I want to point you to some people that can help. We have a ministry here at Southwest. It's called the Stephen Ministry. We have 12 people who are trained to just walk with people through difficult times in their life. And if you've been trying to go it alone, I want to I urge you. I want to I plead with you. If you're, if you're really struggling and you've been trying to do it alone, I want to urge you, reach out for some help. And it's easy here at Southwest to do that. You can go download our app. And if you go to our app, there's a little tab in the app that says, how can we help you? If you click on that app, you'll find a listing of 
how you can get help, whether it be prayer or whether you can seek more information about a Stephen minister that could come alongside and help you. I want to state loud and clear for everybody here today that if you've gone through grief, if you're going through grief, if you go through grief in the future, it's difficult. It's challenging. Don't be afraid to admit if you need help. And let's know that there's people here that are willing to help you. I'm willing to help you because I've learned a lot along the way. But the truth of it is, I want to point you to the ultimate help. The one who came to bring real healing in our life. The one that was called the son of David. The one who Isaiah the prophet wrote this about. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows. Isn't that something? Maybe some of you thought, boy, you seem pretty sorrowful lately, Roger. Well, you know what? Jesus was called a man of sorrow, so I'm okay with that. Acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Verse 5, he was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. I'm so grateful we don't have to go through this life alone. I'm grateful that Jesus has come. I'm grateful he's established his church. And I'm grateful that we have a savior who's acquainted with deepest griefs. He's a man of sorrow who knows our pain. And yet it's in that relationship with him that we can find true healing. During this time of communion, if there's some grief in your life and in your heart that you've never really been reconciled with, maybe it's a time to pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart to a father who knows what it's like to lose someone he loved. He sent his son, his son died. Pour out your heart to a Savior, Jesus, who came and experienced great loss so that we could be healed. I'm convinced that it's in being open and looking to God for help and looking to others for help that we can find the healing that we long for. Think about that as we pray and observe a time of communion. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that he experienced grief as we do. Help us during this time of communion to pour out our grief to you, to truly mourn. We pray that you'll bring healing into our hearts, that you'll teach us to give ourselves grace. And we thank you for the grace that you give us. Help us remember Jesus' loss and sacrifice at this time. It's in his name we pray.